Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean, host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It is your HV for the week. How is everybody doing? My name is John, known as Liquid Guy, joined as ever by my friend and yours, Ash. How are you? I am doing really well. This is our this is our final public episode of 2022 that we're recording today. So it's been it has been a rock and roll nightmare of a year, and I'm so happy we've gotten to record. Enter number here episodes uh, and <laughs> we, release we, them all to you wonderful ghouls. We have done a lot this year. We have uh, we've we managed to record the episode on Wes Craven's Cursed. We did our first ev- <laughs> we did our we did our first ever live show in Chicago, uh, and uh, we appeared on a, a far right list of accounts that they want to get uh, suspended off social media. So I I'm going to say that's a win. I'm going to say that's a good year. Hey, you know, you know, they say you can judge a man's character by his enemies. So, you know what? Uh, I'm pretty, pretty okay with this. It was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, uh, I think I think the message is for 2023, we are going to we're going to double down. We're going to keep uh, talking about horror movies and radical politics. And um, and it's going to be great. But I think what we want to do, what we want to do this this episode is we want to kind of do a little retrospective over 2022 in terms of some of our favorite films of the year. Um, yes. And maybe talk about what it, what it means to have f- quote unquote favorite films. Um, I think that, 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 that could be fun. So, so Ash, where would you like to begin? Well, one place that I want to start this list is really uh, this this kind of best of 2022 that we're doing is with movies that might not have came out in 2022, but were new to us this year. Films that we saw for the first time in 2022. And there are so many of them. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, I know we both have a kind of collection of these. So should we, should we just take it in turns? What What's the first one on your list? Something that you saw for the first time this year even if it didn't come out this year. Okay, uh, uh, I really I really hope the Weird Signal hosts aren't listening right now because the first one on my pile is Chemical Wedding. <laughs> I knew it. I, I knew it. I knew it! <laughs> you did this to me, Weird Signal. <laughs> and I just, ge- genuinely, the, the movie is really terrible in a lot of ways, but it's not unwatchable and and the things in it that are interesting are so compelling for a weirdo like me if you're into the occult if you're into weird politics if you think about the ccru too often you've got to check out this film yeah if and you want to if you want if you've ever wondered could you fax sperm then <laughs> you should watch this movie <laughs> right and then on top of that like you know, we, we we got to become friends with the hosts of Weird Signal through this film. It's it's a great lesson in even obscure, weird bits of art can forge relationships that that hopefully go on to be strong friendships. So, uh, you know, like I always wonder, you know, like what weird pieces of art are going to wind up being like 
on on the level of you know like when you when you've been dating someone for a long time and you eventually develop the the quote unquote our song you know like you have very little influence over what that song might be it could be something playing in a in a in a tesco one day as you're shopping it just happens to you yeah this is this is the movie equivalent of that song you heard late at night in the dive bar when you you know everything's a little bit hazy but you know it's going to be the thing that becomes like the shared reference point but yeah so so chemical wedding new new to me this year and that for better or for worse, that film has left a lasting impact on my psyche. How, how about you? Um, I think I am going to start with um, something that I was introduced to thanks to working with our dear friend Labour Kyle. Um, and that is 2002's uh, film, uh, the 2002 film by Alexander Sukharov called Russian Ark. Ooh. Uh, it is... Like ninety minutes, it's a it's a wanna. Uh, it is, it is basically the visualization of history and movement. It is glorious. It's a very if you know anything about Kyle, you know anything about his like uh, his research and his writing on the philosophy of history, you won't be surprised that he really loves this. Um, it's because of working on our show, Profane Illuminations that uh he brought this up and i went away and watched it and it and it's blown my mind technically i think it's it's just on the level of like form on the level of like how do you put a film together it's genuinely staggering that you can do an 87 minute one shot um the choreography involved is is just beautiful it's uh it's maybe the best tour of the winter palace in saint petersburg that you will ever 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 see um, and I've been thinking about it a lot because I've I decided to finish this year out by uh, reading War and Peace, um, you know, just something <laughs> something light, something easy. Uh, but again, it's about this kind of like immersion in history, um, and it's absolutely one of the films that has stuck with me the most through the last like eleven months. That's beautiful, and I'm. And it's only natural that Labor Kyle would make an appearance uh, in, in this episode because secretly, you know, as as the is the joke between the three of us goes, he is the third host of this yeah. show, whether he knows it or not. Yeah, not not John, not Ash, but a secret third thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. The, the 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 choosing choosing the best host of Horror Vanguard means picking Labor Kyle. I think that's the correct decision. <laughs> but you're gonna love my next pick for what was new to me this year. Um, and this is this is one that like my god like I've, I've rewatched it too much already. Uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yes, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> that is yes, yes. I, I I cannot describe the feeling I had watching that for the first time. I've tried to describe it to you several times now, but it's just like this eu- eu- euphoria, this rupture of laughter. Like like this is it's just it is without flaw in this world. What more can I say about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Genuinely the last great author of contemporary horror cinema. And Truly. now, thankfully, uh, we have a new Garth Marenghi novel to add to the towering piles of literary quality. You need... Okay, uh, dear dear listeners, ghouls of the audience, please get the audiobook version. Because it's, <laughs> it's narrated and read by Garth Marenghi himself. And it is just... It is it is 
uh, audible ecstasy. It, it is it is sonorous euphoria. I am so so happy that Garth Marenghi made the list for you. <laughs> <laughs> How could it not? Uh, okay, as for me, I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the internet this year, uh, our relationship yep. to to the internet, um, and I I would have included Pulse if I had not seen it before. But, Same. Um, I absolutely have to include We're All Going to the World's Fair. Yes, I was also going to pick that one. Uh, it's it's beautiful and sad uh, and kind of like deeply unsettling about what it means to, to kind of be a subject in the age of the internet. Um, uh, I, it's, it, it's genuinely, I think it's kind of haunting. It's haunting in the best way in that, in, in that it becomes kind of part of you, especially if you are someone who is, you know, the, it's kind of a cliche, but this whole idea of like, if you're someone who's grown up online uh, mm-hmm. or even just spent a lot of time online, it, it's, yeah, it, watch it, watch it. That's all I can say. I mean, great. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't really add anything to that. It's just a phenomenally, it's just a beautiful, somber movie for other weirdos who grew up online. So, um, I think, what about you? What, what's, what's next for you? Oh man, there, there are so, so many. It is so hard to keep picking. Um, but so this year I, I watched two Ben Wheatley movies for the first time, a field in England and in the earth. Um, and I'm picking both of them, both yes. of them, because, because Ben Wheatley is now one of my favorite directors. Like these, these movies are chilling and somber and so well thought out and, and just know exactly how to ratchet up action and tension and then bring it right back down. Like they they play with the formal qualities of cinema in a way that I find to be incredibly fascinating. And all, all of Ben Wheatley's movies are about the occult and soundscapes and weird ambient drone music and fungus and just literally all of the things I love. Yeah, there's there's str- there's strong ash vibes coming off both of those films. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, uh, if you want to understand, if you want to understand. England. If you want to understand the Anglo, then you need to watch Ben Wheatley, mm-hmm. and you should also listen to our um, our triptych of Ben Wheatley episodes where we talk about high rise, we talk about field in England, and we talk about uh, in the woods. Yep, in the earth rather. Um, how, how about you? What, what else do you have? What else do I have for something new? This new to me this year is Sensor, uh, directed by Prano Bailey Bond from twenty twenty one amazing um i think it's i think it's i think it's great i think it's like one of the best like british horror film debuts of like the last 10 years i think it's it's deeply as like as all good horror movies have to be it's deeply invested in the question of history but mediated through cinema itself which makes it this kind of interesting metatextual commentary on media on memory on what does it mean to be a voyeur? You know, what does it mean to be to be in the position of the spectator? What does it mean to be in the audience? You know, uh, what do we what do we really want? I think, I think it's a great example of of the pervert art of cinema, as Zizek would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just think it's an incredibly well made movie. 
I, I, I completely agree. A, a, an absolutely fantastic addition to our list. Um, God, there, there are so many that I want to bring up, like um, the American genre film Archives Drug Stories, I, I think yes. is incredible. Um, Herzog's Where the Green Ants Dream is another one that I would that I would throw on this list. Um, but the one I'm going to close my my new to me this year section out on is not not so much of a movie or, or a TV show, but an entity, a being, a creature, uh, a, a dubious little plasticine guy that I was hitherto unaware of <laughs> yes, until I 2022. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about uh, uh, that which we all aspire to be, Mr. Blobby. Can we, can we please, just here in the edit, can we please just put in some Blobby audio? <laughs> of of yes. like that that utterly terrifying demonic voice. Ew, what are you pack? What are you packing for? <laughs> no, no, blob, blob, blob. Blobby, there is no point in you packing. You're coming to New York. It's wall to all stars next week, Blob. You would not fit in in New York. I'm sorry. You, I mean, look at you. They won't understand you. You're just going to represent Great Britain in a totally ridiculous way. And next week, it's wall to all star studies show with great style. I'm sorry. You're not coming to New York. I'm sorry, but there's no room on the plane for you. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No. Talk to me about about Mr. Blobby. I, I, is, I just, what does Mr. Blobby mean to you, Ash? I don't know. And that's the thing that I love the most about Mr. Mr. Blobby is like, if you've seen the gritty memes, Mr. Blobby is everything gritty wishes it could be. Like, like Mr. Blobby is so, so free and omnidirectional and chaotic, like. It, it, it is the uncertainty of a rupture in the leaden horizon of capitalist realism. It's this thing that you almost can't recuperate and, and, and reclaim somehow. Like it's, it's so, and the fact, the fact that Mr. Blobby is very clearly like a, a bunch of pleather tarps just, just ominously draped over a man, like, or, or I guess a woman as the case was, but like, I, there is, there is, I could, we could, t I mean, seriously, there needs to be an, an edited collection of left critical theory on Mr. Blobby. The, this, this being is just, I don't, Mr. Blobby entered my mind and he's still running around knocking over the furniture of my thoughts and <laughs> memories. I, I, I am, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that this year has seen you be introduced to both Mr. Blobby <laughs> and Garth Marenghi. I feel like I feel like you become at least fifteen percent more British because I know, of this. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben Wheatley, I am like when when I when I when I go to England next, I'm going to take a citizenship test and I'm going to ace that thing. Yeah, you'll just who, who is the reigning monarch, Mister Blobby? You'll just start screaming and knocking over tables. <laughs> like, that's how this you get man's in. got it. <laughs> um, how about well, you? I, I, I only have I only have two more things that I wanted to bring up. Uh, for the first time this year, I watched Park Chan Wook's The Handmaiden from Ooh, 2016. Yep. It is this beautiful gothic uh, adaptation of a Sarah Waters novel. It's 
it's this kind of like sensuous like shame i like park chan wook a lot because it's because they're a filmmaker that is not afraid of like the erotic Mm -hmm. uh it is it's it's sexy it's it's lush watch it watch it watch it watch it uh and then finally two a double bill double bill that i could not pick between uh two films beginning with p uh oh yep Mm -hmm. i thought i thought you could probably predict these two would show up uh i am of course talking about possessor yep uh and uh, possessor possessor i think is is an incredible film um about consciousness about what what does it mean to survive what does it mean to kind of like just live in a world that is literally trying to get inside your head all the time um it is it's it's frightening it's sad andrea riseborough is fucking incredible in that movie Mm -hmm. um and it's it's just so so well done uh and you you must have known this would be on the list. <laughs> uh, maybe the most John film that we have done all year. Uh, I am, of course, talking about Andre uh, Zolowski's uh, just phenomenal film, Possession. Uh, a film which I I think has changed me. <laughs> I am I am so happy that Possession made your list. It is such it is such a good movie for you. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, as I said on Twitter when I was watching it for the first time. It's 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 beautiful. It's so heartbreakingly sad. It's utterly horrible. <laughs> it's it's so frightening, um, and and it's it's just glorious. It's it's wasn't going to say this. Probably not a surprise. This is this is this is one of my favorite films of the year by a long way. Excellent. So, so now that we've we've discussed some of the films that were new to us in 2022, uh, let's go, let's go through your list of the best releases of 2022. As we as we lead up to my list, as well as both of our picks for for quote unquote movie of the year. Uh, I'm going to start with my kind of normie choice, my sort of like very mainstream choice. Uh, I'm going to have to shout out Nope by Jordan Peele. Ooh, interesting! Hell yeah, I think it's it's a it's a really fun film. It's it's kind of the most meta film that Peel has made, and I think Peel has been getting like increasingly meta textual uh, from Get Out to Us to to Nope. I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's flawless. I just think it's 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 uh, an extremely solid, very funny, uh, very well made movie about aliens and. Uh, has maybe may a genuinely genuinely scary scene with the chimpanzee. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and some really interesting things about media and technology in it, uh, uh, particularly the man on the motorcycle. If you've seen the film, you know the bit I'm talking about. I've also written about uh, that moment uh, from the film over on on uh, Patreon. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be my first choice. What about you? What's your what's your first choice? Or do you want me to just do all of mine? Um, let's do let's do all of yours because you have you said nineteen on three separate lists. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so let's do do film, them all, and then we'll save we'll save the number one pick for the last. Uh, a film I would not have seen if not for you, which is um, 
Hellbender. Oh my God, yes. The Zelda and Toby Adams film. I think it's... The longer I think about it, the more I like it. I think the music in it fucking rules. Yes. The performance the performances are great. Um it's it's got this kind of gentle tragedy to it in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. Um I I really like the episode that we did on it as well. I I totally agree. The only reason Hellbender didn't make my best of 2022 is because it made my best of 2021. Um <laughs> And I, I honestly like the only reason I'm not taking its release in 2022, it's it's wide release in 2022 rather as an excuse to put it on the list again, is because I just want to talk about a few other films. Totally fair. Um, Beautiful movie though. I really really like Resurrection. It's a film written and directed by Andrew Siemens. It's got um, Rebecca Hall and Tim mm. Roth in it. Um. It is, it's, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it. It's this idea of, it's, it's based on this idea of a woman who is trying to maintain the control of their life when their former abusive partner suddenly turns up back in it. Um, mm-hmm. It's anchored by um, Rebecca Hall, who is just incredible. Um I think it's, yeah, maybe one of my favorite single acting performances I've seen for, on, in a film this year. And Tim Roth is also really, really good as the um, this kind of like haunting presence that just shows up and is able to just ruin your life simply by being in in close proximity to you. Um, so yeah, that's 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 got to be one of them. Uh, Vortex by Gaspar Noé. Um, it, which is technically a Dario Argento film. It's just Dario Argento acting. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's honestly it's it sounds kind of mawkish. It's it's one of the best films about death I've seen in a very long time, um, and about the very kind of human struggle of coming the kind of bleak horror of our own finitude. Um, and I know some people really don't like Gaspar Noé for very good reasons. I think uh, some of his films are a little bit silly, but this is this is like deeply. It, it's very serious. It's very sad. It's very melancholic. Um, uh, Gwyleth or the Feast, which is a Welsh language folk horror movie. <laughs> Hell yes, uh, that involves weird hallucinogenic mushrooms uh, and corrupt politicians. And I can't believe you've not seen it because I feel like um, it would be very much your thing. I just threw it on my list because that is very much my thing. You had me at Welsh and you you uh, got me with the rest of it. Um, and I'm, I'm reasonably sure that a keen, a keen listener to the show could predict the next two that I'm going to put on my list. Uh, Tatain. Yep. Uh, by Julia Decarnot. It is... <laughs> the, the sex with the car is the least weird part of the whole film. and <laughs> By a wide margin, yes. By a wide margin. It's, but what I really love, and it's the same thing that I really loved about Roar, is that there's this um, genuine, sincere kind of appreciation and tenderness to the film. Yeah. Of like, in, in all of our weirdness and mutability and, and the kind of weird fleshly existence that we have, there's something kind of very soft-hearted and and loving about the film i think and if you know me at all you could probably guess 
I think not that I want to put these in order, but my final one that I want to mention is wait, is this go- your number one pick overall? I well, this is this is a good question. I don't know if I want. I, I don't know if I want to have numbers attached to mine. But the final one, I okay, want to, okay. If, I want to mention. Oh, uh, one, one second. If this is your last pick, do you want to save that for the end of the episode so we can both do our like quote unquote top picks? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's and I will stop. Th- then I will stop there. I will keep one in my back pocket. What about Ooh. what about you? So do you do you want to have a brief interlude while we discuss the hermeneutics of end of year wrap ups and quote unquote best of lists? Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think it's necessarily possible to do the whole thing of like ranking or you know here's my yes. top my top five because that implies a kind of like quantitative measure of quality. Yeah, and and really all of the films that I've mentioned and and so many that I didn't mention. I, I couldn't quanti- quantitatively talk about what they mean to me. Something like possession. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has this, right? There are bits of art that become part of you. Um, and you can't, yes. quant- you can't quantify that. You can't, no. uh, you can't put that into a, into a list where you go, oh, this is three bits better. All, all you can do, the only point I think of trying to do these kind of like wrap-ups is to go, here is my kind of like... Here, here are some of the moments of encounter that I had with film. Mm-hmm. What about you? I, I, I totally agree. Uh, to reference a joke at the end of a recent episode, um, if if your boyfriend is earnestly doing top five movie lists at the end of the year, you're single to me. What, what's what's he gonna do? Rank me a three? <laughs> it's it's. It's nonsensical. It, what, what does that communicate? How how could one movie be the best of the year? Like like what what does that even mean? How are we actually doing this measurement? Right. Like like it is. What what when what does that communicate too? You know like I I just do not do not understand. Well, I understand that approach because it's it's easy, right? It's 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 a way for capitalism to shrink and reduce art into something quantifiable, into something that can have a numbered list. So you can say like, oh, our movie won Horror Vanguard's number two movie of the year and slap that on your box, which would be hilarious if any film decided to do that ever. <laughs> but I think like these these open discussions where it's like we, we have all of these different vectors, right? All of these different hermeneutics, these different ways of knowing cinema as art. And they're kind of like emerging here. And the fact that like we we both had a new to me section and you had three separate best of lists for 2022, <laughs> which I absolutely love. Um, and I, I went for a more traditional route and had like I was like, OK, one focused best of list with an honorable mention, the the traditional cinema way. Uh, I, I just think it's like, why? Why ever assume one of these ontologies is like at all meaningfully correct over the others rather than embracing each of them as offering something unique. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this idea that you can come up with quantitatively the best film of the year is is ridiculous. And it it runs contrary to like if I can be sincere for a minute, one of the things I genuinely I genuinely and deeply love about doing this show and about the kind of community of people who listen to the show is that I have never come across someone who says, oh, you have to see X, otherwise you don't really like, or you don't really understand, or you don't really know. 
Yes. Re- mm-hmm. Really the great thing about the kind of films that we talk about and the kind of people who share their own love of film with us is that it becomes this uh, beautiful moment of collaborative exchange where instead of it being a kind of exclusionary measure of how much or how little you don't know, how much money you've spent, how much you've engaged with the with the commercial capitalized c- cultural product, it becomes this glorious uh, space in which we exchange the things which have shaped us on a very deep level on the ways in which idea art and philosophy intersect to not just make what we think about the world but in some ways make us who we are in the world right so like we're not ranking films here we're not trying to give you the best films of the year this is just a chance of once again your 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 spectral ghosts extending uh, a kind of offering and going you know look what we've done look what history has happened in the past 12 months and history is not always the grand gesture it's sometimes that personal moment of encounter of you in a dark room with a bright screen in front of you that is that is absolutely beautiful i could not have put that better myself and i of course completely agree with everything you just said so tell me ash what are your favorite films of the year? <laughs> <laughs> My top five horror movies of 2022. <laughs> Number five, Halloween ends. No, that's not on the list. <laughs> oh, that movie, that movie did not leave the impact that perhaps it hoped it could have. Um, but I want to start with an honorable mention for a small movie that I saw, I think the debut screening of here in Chicago called Night's End. Uh, it's a 2022, a 2022 film released by Jennifer Reeder. Uh, Nights and explores a man moving into a haunted apartment. He's become a shut-in and radiates that kind of cloistered, uncertain energy that all of us generated throughout the COVID pandemic. And the film dovetails that uh, that anxiety into a media ecology of YouTube influencers, grifters, and an oncoming occult apocalypse. Nice. And it is like, it's simultaneously like, this incredibly like like cinema verite realistic depiction of someone who was going through something rough before covid and then covid just transformed them into just a being of anxiety and and then like to to tie that into like the weird parasocial stuff that happens when you like start to take off on any kind of social media and you start picking up attention and how easy it is to get sucked into other people's grifts when that's happening like it is a really, really, really good movie, and I don't think it's picked up a wider release yet, but I really hope it does. I think I remember you talking about this on Twitter, like the the day you went to see it, and you know, I I'm not surprised that something like that really stuck with you after the 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 kind of weirdness of of COVID lockdowns and you know our social our social distancing and the, the just the inability to get out into the world, you know. And and the fact that the movie features like so- social media horror influencers, which I guess if we were being more crass, that's what we could call ourselves. Oh, like, no, no, I know that was while I was watching this, I was like, I was like, oh no, <laughs> were you feeling slightly cold out? <laughs> I I was there. There are aspects of that movie where I am just like, oh, <laughs> let this not come to pass. But it's it's really like if you can if you can watch it somewhere. I don't know if it made it to Tubi or Amazon or something, but like or hopefully maybe Shutter can pick it up or someone. But like, highly recommend seeking that movie out. 
Uh, number five. Uh, so I ranked mine, but the rank doesn't matter. The The rank is just a, a tool for convenience. It's not really better or worse. Uh, my number my number five pick was one of the latest uh, American genre film archive releases, the Shako Rama Video Party. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is yeah, Chef's Kiss, vintage Ash right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is this is a collection of films spanning 1953 to 1968. The Shako Rama Video Party is a release of four surreal genre films from this something weird uh, distribution company. The release features a curated set of The Naked Witch, Ghosts of Hanley House, Violated, and Passion in the Sun. And I, I picked this because I watch a lot of re-released horror cinema. You know, like movies that you can either only find as low-quality rips online or through buying a beaten VHS tape that costs way more than it has any right to. And this this isn't new uh, and this also really doesn't fit into the new to me category because these are films that very few people have seen these until the re-release happens <clears throat> it's not like somebody who watched psycho for the first time in 2022 right a film that gets hundreds of thousands of views a year um <clears throat> and i wanted i wanted to highlight these re-releases right because i think it's it's important to kind of keep in mind how technology and access and capital kind of fundamentally shape the boundary of any best of 2022 list. And and the kind of like, you know, like you see best of 2022 lists coming out from like people who get invitations to screenings or who live in Los Angeles, you know, where, where all of the movies, you know, like have their early screenings and premieres. And they're just fundamentally different to the list that other people produce when you just don't have access to those technologies. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, on top of that, the American Genre Film Archive is li- literally keeping the memory of cinema alive Absolutely. when they release these things. And what's next? Number four. <laughs> I'm gonna keep, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing the voice or not. Um, so my number, my number four pick uh, in, in Many people probably saw this one coming, but the Out There Halloween Megatape, a.k.a. the WNUF Halloween Special Sequel. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. Had to. I was so excited for this one to come out. I, I ordered the DVD the second I could. Um, and, and there's a lot about it that, that I really like. It, it's a, it has a tighter narrative, and it's a lot more focused than WNUF. Not in a way that I would say is technically superior, but in a way that it's not just it's not just a rehash of the same concepts and materials from WNUF. It's the same framing device of of the found VHS tape recording some kind of Halloween special. But what we get is is shaped entirely differently. And it, it, there's a lot of references back to the original. So now it's forming its own like mythos if you will the wnuf you know like mythos is starting to form which i find incredibly fascinating uh, but but then on top of that like i i think like th- this isn't a horror genre film this is american television as a genre oh yes right? like absolutely as as its own like commercials and and filmed on vhs and all of that included as as markers of this genre and I find that to be way ahead of its time, so far ahead of its time that that the kind of like filmed American broadcast television as genre 
like that that is something that like is is so so forward facing in terms of how this is constructing its its story and then on top of that, like, you know, like riffing on Jerry Springer as as part of like the, the the cultural touchstones of Americana, I think is really clever. And then it didn't have a digital release. And I, to the best of my knowledge, still doesn't. It's only physical. You can only buy the VHS or the DVD. You have no other options for watching this thing. I respect the hell out of that. I, too, respect the hell out of that because it is it is a reminder that all art is physical. There is no such thing as a digital only product. It is all even even an NFT has to go back to a hard drive like in this. This is a stark reminder of that. And it really changes how we approach the film, too, because this restores this kind of mythic status. Because, sure, there's probably there's there's guaranteeably rips of this thing uh, all over the Internet now. But like to to acquire it from the quote unquote official channels is it, it, it reminds me of, you know, like seeking out movies again in the pre-internet age. Right. You had to like know where to look and then you had to get kind of lucky on top of that. Absolutely. Uh, what What's next? Uh, no, number three is no, 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 no surprise. Panos Cosmatos is the viewing. Yes. <laughs> Did somebody say goo? <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, somebody turned the goo dial up to 11, which auto includes you into my best uh, best horror movies of the year, I guess. But this, it's Panos Cosmatos. And so far, everything Panos Cosmatos has done has been without flaw on this earth. So great. Keep it coming. Um, I love I love how this explores psychedelics and drug culture. I found that to be really this movie approaches it in a really fascinating way that doesn't do the kind of like easy hagiography that a lot of these like period ish pieces could do. And it's also not a drug scare PSA from the 1950s. It's, it's very level in its approach to that, which I find to be very compelling. And then like the the movie itself is exploring the site of rupture, right? Like it it is the uncomfortable gooey breaking forth of something new. And it's kind of how that impacts the people who make it happen, the people closest to it. And they all wind up fundamentally changed for being in the process of birthing this thing. Right. Like, like it is so uncomfortable and gooey and weird and fun and haunting and dark and, I, I cannot believe Panos Cosmatos got that much out of an hour for an entry into a Netflix anthology show. Oh, what a great way of putting it. What a great way of putting it. Um, do you have one left over that you want to keep so we can talk about our favorites of the year? Oh, I have I have my number two and then I have my favorite pick. Go on. What's your number pick. two? What's your what's what's your number two of the year? I mean, I couldn't. You couldn't. You did not expect me to go this to go this far without talking about Rob Zombie's The Monsters. There it is. There it is. There it is. Robert Zombert coming back with the Monsters for my number two pick. Welcome to Drive Time Radio with Hogman and the Leech. The more I do that voice, the more I the more I slip into my alternate ego as a Drive Time Radio DJ that uh, i i i know i i didn't i don't think i know that we are gonna have to talk about the monsters on the show oh i am i am i i'm down i am down because this movie demands it and and i think what i would say about the monsters is that i, I want to be upfront about why i picked this right this is not a meme pick 
and and I know it's kind of a bit around here that I both take the unexpected turn and treat that box on the side box on the sidewalk labeled VHS better than I would treat I don't know like the Night Watch or anything at the Louvre. But <laughs> this is an honest pick for one of my best horror movies of the year. And everything could have gone wrong with this movie. It's it's a Rob Zombie film, and as much as I love them, they are of an inconsistent quality sometimes. Uh, the Monsters is a dated IP that no one cares about anymore. It has no fandom driving it or anything. So like, it's been in this movie in particular, like, like it's been in production hell for like a decade. Like Rob Zombie had his hands on this movie almost ten years ago. And then a couple other directors got it, and then there were re- re- total rewrites, and like he finally got to make the thing, and it was filmed during COVID. You know, like it, everything should have gone wrong with this movie, and nothing did. And I think it's also useful for our theoretical investigations into how nostalgia functions. Yeah, you know, like Rob Zombie's The Monsters doesn't just feed us back our own nostalgia for the monsters as as an IP, a brand and a piece of marketing. It kind of force feeds us the psychedelic haze of Rob Zombie's personal nostalgia. And like, I think that's why a lot of people didn't like it is because they wanted they wanted their nostalgia for TV monsters and Rob Zombie gave you his. And that it's it's this very like it's more honest than honey boy and more real than like whatever mockery of cinema verite is going to get banded about as one of the real best films of 2022. And like, it's, it's this rough encounter with like the bard subject. And I, I, I would, I would say, I would go on to say if I can be so bold is that all of us are in some ways a, a rupture in the surface of this diffused divinity and, and anyone claiming that Rob Zombie's The Monsters is cringe should turn inward as that cringe bursts forth from their own soul, not the art itself. This film is deeply humbling. We are not above Rob Zombie's The Monsters. We stand squared up and look it in the eye. We owe it to the spirit of utopia to let this film and its potentials enter us. Anything short of that is a shrinking spiritual cowardice of a caliber that should inspire even the most frail souls to seek monastic hermitage and find within that silence the inner divine fire that they cower from. I I I I, <laughs> I have never I have never heard or I have not heard in a very long time a better response to the kind of cynical posturing that declares that I'm too good for something, right? That, mm-hmm. oh no, I, I, I refuse to enjoy film because I'm too good for it. Um, I could not agree more with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Are you ready? Are you ready to exchange our, our number one picks? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Do you, do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. I... Uh, I, again, no surprise. I'm pretty sure people people will have guessed what I'm, I would have put as if I if I have to if I have to pick my favorite film of the year, and I I can't pick Possession. Um, I am, <laughs> I am go, go I'm gonna pick uh, the goat. He's he's the goat. He's he's back. He's back, baby. I'm gonna pick <laughs> David. I'm gonna pick David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. Uh, I knew it. Obviously, I, knew it. I am. Yep. I'm I'm fine with that. I I know who I am. It's every it's 
yeah everything i wanted it's it's in some ways way too on the nose it is often uh weird and boring and uh, <laughs> gross and it's just so so good uh Saul and Caprice are a great on-screen couple Viggo Mortensen mm-hmm. is the fact that we exist in a cinema ecology that means that David Cronenberg struggles to get financing for films makes me so unspeakably sad um <laughs> Uh, I spent a lot of time this year thinking about Cronenberg. I wrote a, a Cronenberg retrospective for Passage. Um, I've written about Cronenberg's early films, particularly From the Drain, which is a short student film you can find on YouTube, made in the late 60s. Um, and he's another he's another director who constantly returns to the question of what the body is. What does it mean to have a human body? What does it mean to live in such a way that the body can change and become something new and unexpected and uh like if you uh if you if you if you are someone who is chronically ill or if you know someone who is or if you know someone who um is disabled like you know this idea of what it means to if you are someone who's disabled you know what it is to have a body that is almost beyond your own control um mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a great film it just made me so happy to see uh, a film by David Cronenberg from the director of Crash, as it says on the trailer. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the one. That's how you intro the return of David Cronenberg. Um, it's honest, honestly a director who has more ideas in, like, in, 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 in a finger uh, and makes mm-hmm. films like this on a fraction of the money that gets drawn away, evaporated into the gray sludge of Disney Marvel films, right? Uh when when Scorsese said correctly that Marvel films are not cinema, he also said that like their 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 domination of 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 the movie landscape means that it's so much more difficult for films which are interested in in this kind of thing to get the kind of wide release that they they deserve. It's it's so good. It's surgery is the new sex. Uh, Kristen Stewart's amazing in it. Yes, um, I was waiting for that. Like maybe one of my favorite actors. <laughs> I. I I, I like everything that they've done. Um, yeah, well, what has Case Do done that's been that's been bad on a performance level? Yeah, anyone even who, Charlie's Angels was enjoyable. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, un- <clears throat> we, we stand, we stand. Case Do abashed. Case Do stand over here. Yeah, um, and I I love Viggo Mortensen with with oh uh, yes all yep. my heart, and it's so good as this kind of like performance artist. It's got so much to say about the body. It's got so like Cronenberg said, it had huge amounts to say about uh, our our ways of we make ourselves right. That's the entire point. We can make ourselves, and at its core, there's something enormously hopeful about that. When we are faced with the possibility of kind of a global environmental catastrophe, microplastic mm-hmm. driven as it is, already it is in our blood, right? And there is a choice here that we can accept a kind of annihilationism or we can embrace our own subjective self-making potential to become something new and that becoming is both terrifying and horrific and bloody but also maybe and maybe this is the scariest thing about it maybe also kind of wonderful that's beautiful that is absolutely beautiful and and when you didn't mention that earlier i was like I know it. I know what's coming up. It's it's going to be Cronenberg, and I am so happy that you picked it and the beautiful description of that film. 
And what about you? Let's let's exchange keep the gift exchange coming. <laughs> I too have picked a brand new piece of Canadian horror cinema that's on the cutting edge of experimental spookiness. I have picked Skinamarink. The brand new release from uh, director and writer Kyle Edward Ball, whose YouTube videos are just fantastic and chilling. But this is it's it's very much in the tradition of like Canada. Canada stays winning when it comes to horror and experimental cinema. Like all of the best minds in the game come out of Canada <laughs> for reasons that I think it's going to take anthropologist generations to fully flesh out. So I picked Skinamarink. There, there, there's a lot of like, uh, I had such a hard time picking like what movie would be at the top of my list. Because even though this is an unordered list, the movie that I speak about last is going to carry weight that the other films will not. You know, and, and each film has its own kind of internal hermeneutics that would, it would apply back unto me if I picked it as the final selection. You know, if I would have picked The Monsters as my movie of the year, as the final movie for me to talk about in 2022, it, it would have colored my own conversations about film, both in that and going forward. So I, I wanted to pick Skinner Rink because I've never seen anything like this. You know, like I, I've seen these elements before. It reminds me a little bit of the late 70s horror trailer and Daisy and 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 a few other like odd experimental bits of of online cinema and digital cinema. But like the the collective piece of Skinamarink is unlike anything I, I have ever seen. It is so good. Um, it's it's shot on digital, but it's it's edited to reflect a very grainy like <clears throat> shot on high eight or maybe like eight super eight or eight millimeter or something. And it's it's this interesting formal rejection of the teleology of capitalist cinema. Right. Like like Netflix will not take any movies that are not shot in 4K. Right. Even though the majority of people streaming Netflix are streaming it on a device that cannot render 4K cinema. And it is downscaled to like 720p on most devices or 1080p. You know, like it, that, that is that is ludicrous. Netflix has a list of cameras that you need to use. And if your camera is not on that list, they will not accept your product. And that is that is baffling. They have, they have also they have the uh, uh, like they have the same limitations for like every aspect of cinema. You have you have to have these certain sound requirements, or they won't take your film. And like Skinamarink just spits in the face of that. This film this film is so intensely grainy. All of the angles are obscure and odd and strange, and the audio is so just chewed up. It is beautiful for how decayed it is as a piece of cinema. Right. Like, like, I, you know, like I, I kept asking myself, what else can be accomplished with these bygone forms? You know, like e even even kind of like th throwaway bits of consumer technology like SVHS, high eight, things like that. You know, like like there is an endless horizon of potential for what those things can yet accomplish. It's not that their day is gone and that this is resurrecting some kind of lost form. It's that they're still with us as filmic technologies and we still have things we can do with them. Um, and if you haven't seen Skinamarink, uh, the, the plot is very loosely described as two young children, ages six and four, wake up in their home after their parents suddenly disappeared. And all of the objects in their home also start to disappear, including doors and windows. Um, the, the film is sometimes shot POV, 
it's sometimes shot in these extremely experimental camera angles. You you never see on-screen dialogue spoken. So it's it's a very ash <laughs> movie in terms of it being imperceptibly strange and and open with how experimental it is, which I absolutely love. Um yeah, I, I don't know. Like like even even like the setting too, like like how it's how it's toying with our nostalgia. Right? Like the, a lot of the film is footage of a television playing retro retro cartoons. The 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 film the film is like amazingly violently sick with dyschronia, right? It's it's filmed on like tape, maybe eight mil. It's it's filmed on digital, but it's made to look like it's filmed on tape or eight mil. The audio is suffering from all kinds of decay. The cartoons on screen are sixty years before the screen itself was produced. It, it it's just temporally all over the place, and in, in a way, it's just kind of like. Like like this is this is sifting this is sifting the the kind of like sluice way of nostalgia, and and like like skimming all the foam that comes to the top and serving it back out to us, you know like like this is oh it is just like such a phenomenal film, and it does not have a wide release yet. It's not on any streaming services, no physical release. So I really really hope it gets more play soon. Because I would love to talk about Skinner Marink on the show. What a beautiful way of putting it, Ash. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And I'm so excited to try and check that out. Yeah, I really like that we both end with Canadian filmmakers. Well, should we wrap things up by very quickly talking about some of our favorite quote-unquote films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to start? Uh, yes, I, I'm going to say Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes, drip souls, drip souls. Let's go. It's where it's at. The kids uh, also, love dark souls. Also, and I'm gonna say it again. The best one of the three. You know, you know. The more you say this, the more I am forced to grapple with the fact that you keep saying this, and the more that I think you have a compelling argument here. Uh, if if you don't if you don't think uh, Luca Teal's final final speech is one of the most beautiful and heartrending moments. Uh, oh, I, I, it's certainly one of the most emotional moments of media I've, I've had this year. Um, I'm also going to add to that uh, Noah Cordwell Gervais' five-hour Dark Souls review uh, <laughs> and, and his four-hour review of Sekiro, Bloodborne, and Elden Ring uh, covering all of From Software's games. Um, Noah Gervais is the best games video essayist on youtube and it's it's not even close um genuinely incredible work um what what about you do you have any others that you'd like to add well you know if if i want to if i want to throw one quote-unquote film onto the hv 2020 bonfire it has to be guy on smith's night of the crabs yes yes there is truly nothing like guy on smith's night of the crabs uh, from from a man that will teach you how to uh, hunt house cats in cold blood comes comes a story about resisting the crab monarchy and i and and you know like welsh liberation from the iron claw of london i like i do not know what to make of night of the crab still it is such a book um i'm i'm going to add two more video projects if i can before i oh I please wrap up um Maybe the best documentary, and also the reason NFTs died this year, um, mm-hmm. 
a line goes up by Dan Olson. Um, it's two hours. It's on. It's on YouTube. It's the best. It's the best explainer and the best refutation of NFTs, Web three, uh, the blockchain, like all of it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. And finally, I got a shout out. Uh, Nick Spheres, uh, May, uh, who has done mm. some incredible work. Uh, specifically, want to talk about her video on the disturbing movie Iceberg and the um, the not safe for life list. Uh, the the not safe for life one, I think, all parts of it come up to like four hours. The disturbing movie Iceberg is at least another two or three hours. And not only is May just such a great like horror host and so mm-hmm. smart and so funny. Um, but she also makes some really beautiful points about what does it mean to live in a world where all of this kind of like really disturbing, viscerally upsetting, often very violent, borderline illegal media can exist. Check them both out. All right. Well, well, it's been it has been a 2022, hasn't it? Hasn't it, dear listeners? We look forward to uh, delving even deeper into the crypts, the the haunted hallways, the spooky screens of cinema in 2023 happy new years everyone happy holidays and we'll we'll see you in january we hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse until next week stay spooky